0: What's so appealing to me about Calvary is, and you probably know this because I understand you do have a relationship with the hospital, yes. mm-hmm. or the, is it's just so unique and it's truly a special, everybody thinks where they work is special, but having been around for quite a while, this is truly a special place, not just because it cares for patients at the end of life and palliative care, and that's all we do basically, but what it takes to do that. you know, They were founders, really, in, yeah. in the movement of palliative, and especially of palliative care. And so to be kind of with the vanguard who does that is really quite thrilling, to be honest. And the people who work here that make it take care of patients in these stages of their lives and their families are very, very special people. And it's in the DNA. Mm-hmm. And every role, whether it's the housekeeping staff, the dietary staff, the nursing staff, the medical staff, the finance people. It truly is about the patient here. Uh, anyway, it's just a very, very, very unique place. And I was beside myself to think that, uh, you know, I'd be, become part of the family here.
1: Betty Nelson, you're the RN residency program honcho, I guess you could could say, and (laughs) I, I understand that there is a nursing shortage, and I've been seeing news stories about that, how there is a nursing shortage nationwide. First of all, is there one at Calvary, and why? Well,
0: Pat, yes, there is a nursing shortage nationwide, and there is a nursing shortage at Calvary. There are a number of reasons why this, this is the case in general and specifically to Calvary, so let me take them in two parts. The first is there's been a nursing shortage on and off for years. I've been a nurse for over 40 years, and it comes down to the pure and simple supply and demand, and demand changes over time. It changes based on advances of medical science, advances of nursing care, changes in demographics, and changes in expectations of, of our citizenry, expectations of the healthcare system. Today, we have this embarrassment of riches in terms of scientific expertise, which allows us to have a longer lifespan. At the same time, we have a change in the demographics, so there's more of us, and having an ex- raised expectations that there is healthcare at a supreme level, at a quality level, will be available to us when we need it. Well, nurses are in that same demographic bubble. We have the challenges of providing care to the spectrum of citizens, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the community, whether it's in the hospital. And nurses today have opportunities beyond what we did 40 years ago uh, in terms of careers. And in terms of expectations, a shortage occurs because we have a higher demand and we have the, the capacity to meet. And some of the reasons around the trouble meeting capacity also has to do not just with the changing in demographics and the opportunities available to women other than nursing and teaching, for example, but also has to do with access to education. The schools of nursing have faculty shortages. Schools also have challenges finding clinical placements. So when you need wow. to educate yeah. a nurse that the clinical sites are not available and they're not available because they might have units closed because there aren't nurses to staff the unit. It's quite an interrelated cycle. Faculty shortages occur primarily. One, there's an increased education requirement to teach. And two, faculty are generally paid at a rate where you can make more money as a staff nurse than you can on a faculty. So the interest to become a nurse is one thing. Then the second thing is once you decide you'd like to be a nurse, you have access to nursing education. Then retention is a whole other issue. Has multiple factors, as you can imagine, a tremendous amount of retiring occurring at the moment as a result of the pandemic. We've had an increase interested in the bedside nurse to leave nursing by about 32%. And at the same time, because of demographics, there's about 20% looking to retire.
1: Wow. Your labor
0: statistics is saying... There's going to be a need for about 195,000 nurses.
1: It's also been said not only those numbers, which are astounding, but I don't know how to say it exactly, but maybe compassion might be on the wane in society, leading to fewer wanting to go into nursing because they don't have that compassion gene. Or No, I do not think it's
0: ridiculous at all people have plenty of compassion. It's whether they feel they can share it with others. The idea of having an interdependent relationship, caring for people at a vulnerable point in their lives needs a different, I'll say, oomph around your compassion and your ability to share. I do think our increased use of technology in our society in general, I don't know if you recall, number of years back a book that came out called Bowling Alone. Yes. And and that was about how we were no longer coming together, society, coming together in community. One of the influencers for that shift was technology, right? That we now yeah. became we had all this personal technology as it started to grow. You have less and less interpersonal, direct human human mm-hmm. connection. So as that grows, you know, you're going to see the see a decline in the in the human connection. But it takes a lot of courage and a lot of bravery to care for others when they're at their most vulnerable. So compassion, yes, I think you're right to a certain extent that it makes it harder to think of yourself as being able to provide, share your level of compassion with someone else at the time of their need and then be able to maintain your own, I'll say wellness for lack of a better word.
1: Yeah, there was this student enrollment and baccalaureate nursing programs increased 3.3% in 2021. Well, that's good. Is that increased enrollment going to keep up with demand?
0: Great question. No, it's not. Uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics quoted an increased need for registered nurses at 9%. Oh. So, if we're seeing enrollment in, but to be fair, there's also the associate degree nursing program. So, the AACN study that you imagine is that where you may yes. have gotten that mm-hmm. number? They only look at baccalaureate programs. There's also the associate, de- associate degree in nursing mm-hmm. programs. And what's not taken into consideration, of course, is retirement rates. The earlier percent a figure that I shared with you, and I misspoke here, so I apologize. Thirty-two percent of surveyed nurses spoke about leaving direct patient care. Okay, not leaving the profession, but leaving direct patient care. That's an important clarification. I wanted to wanted to make.
1: They could still be keeping a toe in in some other way, but not directly yes. caring for patients. Gotcha.
0: Yes, and that generally means acute care. So mm-hmm. they might go into the community. They might become school nurses. Should there be school districts still hiring school nurses? Uh-huh. Um,
1: if gotcha. they have master's yeah.
0: degrees, they can go and become faculty and associate degree programs.
1: 2030 is supposed to be a, a watershed year that we're, when we're facing a growing number of baby boomers needing care. And at the same time, so many retiring and, and not enough nurses to fill the gap. But then after that, I don't know if you've heard of the book. It's out a few years now. It's called Empty Planet. And it's about how, sure, there are a lot of baby boomers to care for coming up in the next decade or so. But after that, the drop off in population is going to be immense. (laughs) There aren't going to be (laughs) be enough people around to uh, care for the aging part of the population. There won't be enough workers. I guess things, as you were talking about, they they wax and wane, don't they? But 2030 could be a bad year.
0: Yes, I think so. And what's so important, I think, for us to be doing now, well, there's some very positive benefits, positive applications, I think, that can come down the road for technology-supported care. And I think that has to be explored. It's just a reality. If we don't have enough human beings, we have to determine what is required for the touch component of care and what could be done by technology. Second thought is we very much rely on a one-to-one caregiver model. A nurse cares for a patient. Well, in the inpatient setting, a nurse may care for five or six or seven patients. We can do that in other settings as well. So what other models of care might there be that can allow for safe and assure for safe, high-quality care, which should always be expected and delivered? But maybe we organize and deliver that a little bit differently. That's how HMOs came about, that concept, and that's a payment model of, course. We've had our greatest advances in surgery as a result of what happened in field stations in the, during a the war. We've reconsidered how to care for patients with chronic diseases through a population-based model. This very idea of can we afford to do one-to-one care or can we look at groups of patients and somehow provide some levels of care at a group level and then other elements of care that requires one-to-one So those are just kind of three examples of how the times or the circumstances have forced us to think differently. And I think now we have the advantages of technology to reimagine how we deliver care, but moving or transitioning that thinking, if you will, or translating that way of thinking Mm -hmm. over to the delivery of care, thinking about roles. And that's exactly what's happened, for example, In the development of the nurse practitioner role. It's what happened when physicians became specialized. So we're not unfamiliar with the concept of the environment has changed. Therefore, we need to reimagine how to respond. Now, though, we need to have this sense of urgency because 2030 is not that
1: far away. No. And the pandemic, did that make it more urgent?
0: Absolutely. Because it has shaken people up in a number of ways. People are tired. They're burned out. In institutions that struggled with managing the pandemic well, there's been this loss of trust by staff. So this is where we're seeing, I mean, I think it's less than 10 months, there was an increase report of leaving patient care. I think it was 22% Wow. About 10, 11 months ago, wow. and now it's
1: 32%. 32%? Oh my goodness. 32%. Yes. And this was, was that for 2021?
0: That was November 2021, and just a year before that, uh, 22%, so an 11% jump. So that's definitely pandemic-related. For the institutions, they've seen their margins shrink significantly because of increased costs in order to deal with the pandemic. And you would expect that, you know, nice. anything that's going to hit you out of the blue. And then, of course, we have a higher expectation as a society now of what we think we should get in our health care. My mother, who is 90, she doesn't expect too much. She wants her doctor to be nice to her. Yes. Now, the fact that he misdiagnosed a problem, we won't go into the details of that, Pat. (laughs) That's okay, because he was nice to her. Well, that won't be okay with me if and when that ever happens. I don't care if he's nice. Well, he better be nice to me or she. They also better know what they're doing.
1: What do you suggest? You're in the thick of things.
0: Well, I think there are a couple things. One, reimagining how we should and could and must change models of care. I think the scientific community, the medical community in terms of its research into diagnosis and treatment should continue to march on. I do not think that should be stopped. But mm-hmm. how we deliver care, who delivers care, what tools can we use? But that's a while off. Well, if we look specifically at organizations that provide care, we can no longer look at a workforce. And of course, I'll speak about nursing. It's a very heterogeneous group. We're different ages. We're from different backgrounds. We have different needs at different points in our, in our lives. So we have young nurses who are enthusiastic and they're trying to build their career. And then we have nurses who are in their middle stages of life and they've got school children and they're caring for elderly parents. Well, we care about different things. Now, why is this important for an employer to know? Because like, the benefit and the work structure needs to be responsive to that. That's what it comes back to is individualizing programs of support inside of the workplace. We would call them benefit packages. It's not always about the money, but it can be about time off, it can be about flexible time. Time is usually a big factor for a nurse. Another is look at workload. This isn't just simply how many patients a nurse is taking care of. It's how is that nurse taking care of those patients? Who else is around? What are the supports? What is the environment within which that nurse is working? So now we move into a third area, the environment, the empowerment, the ability of the nurse to have a voice in how his or her unit is managed, which leads to the requirement of having very highly qualified leadership.
1: You go to your doctor, and the doctor has been taken over, or has sold his practice to a large healthcare organization. Usually, if there is a nurse there, she's there maybe part time, and then she'll go home, and all the inside workings of the office will be taken over by somebody who is not a nurse. And that more more or less is what many patients have to contend with. Now, it's not yeah. the your friendly neighborhood uh, doctor's offices, not the same. I guess that's another fly in the ointment when it comes to the whole nursing shortage.
0: I would agree. That is actually an interesting development that occurred over the years. I think, and I believe that it's an economic. It was an economically driven decisions made yes. by physicians and their practices. But even prior to a doc selling practice, you may recall this: nurses started to not be employed at physician offices, and they moved towards to medical assistant and an office manager, and they split yes. out these functions the model of care in the physician's office changed. So rather than having a nurse who could know the whole waterfront, that split into two different roles. So physician practices modified their model, their business model, and then their model of care as a result of changes in the payment system. Then on to phase two, which you referred to as then they started selling their practices for very much the same reasons, the economics, and you're right, the corporatization has, you know, from the corporate standpoint or from the administrator standpoint, saved costs, but you kind of wonder what it's done for patient care.
1: The population from which to draw nurses going forward, uh, has there been any move to go into immigrant communities? Because some of the best nurses seem to be from these immigrant communities, maybe first generation, stepping forward to accomplish the American dream. And that seems to be a fertile population in which to draw nurses.
0: Yes, that has gone on for years. We used to import nurses from the Philippines.
1: I remember that. Yes, a big move. Yeah,
0: The rise of community colleges, the rise of the associate degree program, that has been the major entry point for, well, for all yes. immigrants, but mm-hmm. certainly for nurses, into the associate degree program, more so than into the BASH program. There's mostly for two reasons. One, they're community colleges, but more evenly distributed geographically, and that makes a difference. And two, they're affordable. And they can lead you, too, into a pathway towards a BSN. But yes, I think uh, community colleges, the ADN programs, are the main gateway.
1: Let's start to to wrap up by talking about the new RN residency program at Calvary.
0: I'd love to talk about our new program. As a matter of fact, our first group of residents are starting today. There's the nursing shortage. It's hard to recruit. But more importantly, it's hard to recruit into hospice kind of care, palliative care, end-of-life care. They are specialties, and they're specialties that aren't necessarily presented to a student nurse. So we find it a bit of a challenge to recruit new nurses into our uh, healthcare system at Calgary. Mm-hmm. So we put together a 12-month program, which is unique. Residencies for nurses are not necessarily a unique idea. Our program is unique in that it is 12 months, six months for the inpatient experience, and six months in the patient home. And the reason we're doing that Is because no matter where the resident will end up being assigned, whether they'll work permanently in the home hospice or they'll work on the inpatient, they will care for patients who will have been in one of the other places already. Sometimes our hospice patients do come into the hospital. They may have an acute flare-up of something that we care for, stabilize them, and they return back to their home. So it's important, we feel, for the hospice nurse to understand what inpatient care is like and for the inpatient nurse to understand what the hospice experiences. So our standards are, are high. They're national. They will be paired with a seasoned nurse on the unit. So combination of, I'll say, classroom, if you will, the didactic and experiential, as well as observation, and then movement towards independent practice under the, the guidance of a preceptor.
1: That's great. Is there any way that you can get the word out more to high schools to reach people who might want to be nurses and let them know about the specialties that are out there because there are so many. Let them know that this is a career that they could really grow to love.
0: I love that question, Pat. When I was in high school, there was a group, called Student Nurses of America,
1: oh. and I think that was
0: the name of the group, mm-hmm. but it reached into high schools, and they it formed, you formed a club, and it was all about the, exactly what you said, learning about the career of nursing and what could be involved. That organization, I believe, doesn't exist anymore, Oh, so maybe we need to start that
1: again, Pat. Oh, yes. I think they had something like that in my high school, too. I believe yeah. so. and there yes. are all
0: kinds of careers. I remember the name of that association now. Oh. It's called Future Nurses of America.
1: Okay. Well, you have been amazing. Anything you want to add before we conclude?
0: I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the residency program a little bit. And I will, for one, will just say this. I'm very hopeful. Plenty of times in the past few points in history I've mentioned We've had challenges, and we have figured out how to respond to it. I don't see any reason why we won't respond now. Hopefully, we can respond more quickly. I do think there's a kind of more of a sense of urgency given that 2030 deadline, if you will, yes, <laughs> or, or inflection point, perhaps, and that we have the courage to do it. And frankly, Pat, that will put the financing behind it because it is not cheap, and it, it become it should become a matter of priority, I think. And at the same time, you know, palliative care as a specialty is becoming more and more in demand, and it. Is a, and we just can't meet that demand, for example. We just can't meet that demand. But I'm still very enthusiastic. I think we can get there get our business folks and our legislators, our scientists all behind us, it'll happen.
1: Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me today.
0: Oh, my pleasure, Pat. I can't tell you how, how exciting this is for me to talk to you. We like like tell my kids.
1: <laughs> well, it was exciting to talk to you. Thank <laughs> you. Thank
0: you.